This is a, a cheerful time, a good time uh, to acknowledge God and his love and his power. Amen. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to light it up here for a little bit and allow the Lord to open up the scriptures to us. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is Matthew's account of the wise men that come from afar to come and see Jesus. Verse 1, it says, Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, that's Herod the Great, the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And Herod the king when he had heard these things, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when they had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, that's in Micah 5, 2, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, Bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Liar, liar, lake of fire. And when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh, and being warned of God in the dream that they should not return back to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. I want to use for a subject, and I want you to draw your attention to verse 11, the wise men brought three gifts to Jesus Christ. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is God's gift to the world. And God wants to bless you. And he wants to give you three gifts. And that's what I want to talk about. God wants to give you three gifts. You may be seated. In the book of Matthew... The first gospel and the four gospels, Jesus is declared as the king, king of kings and lord of lords. It may surprise you that in the book of Matthew, the only part of the manger scene is the star. There's no mention of the shepherds, no mention of Mary and Joseph other than the announcement of the angels in chapter 1. All you see in Matthew chapter 2 
is a bright light shining in the heavens, calling wise men to come and seek the king of Israel. And I want to say he's not just king of Israel. He's king of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, this chapter is fascinating because when these wise men came into Jerusalem, and they came from the ancient Medo-Persia area, they were called the Magi. The Magi is a tribe of people who actually prepared kings because kings many times would, well, they'd be kings at four years old. How many know a four-year-old needs some guidance? And the Magi were wise men that would help instruct the kings and make them better leaders. You find that in the book of Daniel. In fact, Daniel was called the chief of the wise men. In the book of Daniel, he is the one that's over all the wise men of Babylon. And from Daniel's instruction as the wise man, as the one that knew the scriptures, Old Testament all the way through, Daniel taught men in Babylon and also in Medo-Persia. He taught them that there was coming a king. And so out of these wise men over in Medo, ancient Persia, by the way, Persia is um, Iran, that area. And there was a, a group of wise men that studied the prophecy, studied the scriptures, and they saw a star. Now, astrologers will tell you that it was a comet. It was not a comet. People will tell you that it was a planet coming close to our planet. It was not a planet. Others would tell you, well, it's um, some kind of anomaly in the heavens, and it was not. It was either an angel lit up, declaring to the shepherds in the field, abiding their sheep by night, declaring that a Messiah, Jesus, was going to come and save people from their sin. It may have been an angel lit up who actually stayed lit up so the wise men could follow. It may have took those wise men over a year or better to get to where Jesus was. Those wise men were not three. There was probably more like 300 or maybe even 3,000. When they traveled from, from Persia, they were, I believe, some of the people that Daniel mentored when he was in Babylon and Medo-Persia, and it was handed down. And the tribal of Magi came to find the true king, for they saw the star in the east, and they traveled from afar to come and find the newborn king. It took them some time to get there where Jesus was. In fact, Jesus now is no longer in a manger He's in a house. He's probably a year and a half, two years old because Herod wanted to kill all the babies from two years old and down. And remember, he, he acquired in detail when they saw the star, he asked the wise men. And the wise men said, we saw a star. And when they came into Jerusalem, how many of you know there was no small stir when these wise men came in, the Magi came into Jerusalem because it wasn't three of them it was a massive amount of wise men coming in 
And they had their servants. They had their soldiers. They had their army. They had their chariots. They had their horsemen. And how many know Herod didn't feel so great anymore? Hello. Now, he's called Herod the Great, and we know he is because he's the one that named himself the Great. Herod was not a king. He was actually a governor. And that's why you find in the second chapter of Matthew, they referred to where is the governor. Actually, in Micah 5.2, he's declared the leader, the king. In fact, they said, where would he be born when they came into Jerusalem? And Herod called all the people together, the scribes and the Pharisees, to find out where Jesus would be born. In fact, he was born just four miles from Jerusalem, Bethlehem. And the people in the temple was too lazy to go four miles or five miles to see if the Messiah was there. They said he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, the wise men knew about the star because Daniel had talked about the star in the Old Testament scriptures about a prophet by the name of Balaam. And Moses had written the book of Numbers, and in Numbers 24, verse 17, Balaam gives a prophecy. And he says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob or Israel. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's why the wise men came. They saw the star in the east and they came. Now, whether that star was an angel shining bright, guiding the wise men to where Jesus was, or, and by the way, angels are called stars as well. You do know that. And whether it was angel, an angel, in the book of Revelation, there's an angel so bright he stands in the stars. He actually stands in the, in the sun in Revelation. There's an angel in Revelation that says he lights the whole world with his brilliance and his brightness. Now, it may not have been an angel that was lit up guiding the wise men. It may have just been the Sakina glory of God. It may have been God's fire that he had over the tabernacle by night and the cloud by day and God's fire by night leading the children of Israel and that fire would hover over the tabernacle, which was a tent, a tabernacle, and then that fire would burn. And it could have been that fire because there's going to be another tabernacle born. His name is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. And so Jesus tabernacled among us as God robed in flesh. This was not just any baby. This was a bundle of flesh that was pure God. God was in him reconciling the world unto himself. They told the wise men, the leaders of Jerusalem, that the Messiah, the king, would be born in Bethlehem. That's found in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the, the, the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth has been from the old, from everlasting. Now notice it says in the last part of verse 2, 
of Micah 5, that he existed before Bethlehem, that he existed before he was born of the flesh. Jesus is the eternal pre-existing God. For it says, whose going forth has been from old. He's ancient of days. He's sovereign God from everlasting. So this babe found in a manger was God robed in flesh and to come and bring us good news of salvation. Tabernacling among us. I'm trying to make this chapter two of Matthew come alive to you because so many times all we see is three wise men on a Christmas card. We just hear a little bit and we think the wise men showed up at the manger. They did not. They showed up much later. And Jesus was like a year and a half, two years old. But they came bringing gifts to Joseph and Mary, actually to Jesus. But the money was going to be used, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, was going to be used to sustain Jesus when he goes into Egypt to flee from the wicked hands of Herod the Great. And that money would be used, and Egypt has many times sheltered the people of God. And Jesus finally waited till Herod died, and then an angel appeared before Joseph and said, now you can go back because the old geezer's dead. Well, I don't think he used those words, but that was the truth. There was Herod Antipas, which was his son, was a bad dude. All them Herods are bad dudes. They're the biblical mafia in the Bible. They're awful. Herod Antipas is the one that was involved in crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. He was involved in beheading John the Baptist. He was involved in the persecution up to the time in the book of Acts, the killing of James and trying to kill Peter. And then he died and another Herod stepped forward. Herod, Herod, Herod. Now, I'm, I'm telling you all this because I, I, I want to grab your spirit because I want you to understand that I'm not just up here rambling around. I want you to hear what God wants to say to us. For Jesus Christ grew up as the Son of God. And God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The only man that ever lived without sin. The only man that ever pleased God the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, God the Son. And so Jesus goes to the cross, and there he dies for our sins. He sheds the blood of his God, God's blood, for our sins, to wash away our sins. He goes to the tomb. He raises again from the grave. And today he ascends back to the Father, and he gives us Christmas every year for some of the devil's punishment. Isn't that good? Now, I'm going to share some things with you tonight, that, and I'm not going to keep you long, but I want the children to have plenty of time. I mean, I'm not selfish. I want to give the children plenty of time to... Plenty of time to, you know, party and have a good time. I, don't be so selfish. Don't say, I wish he was done. No, they're having fun back there. You may not be having fun, but I'm having fun, and they're having fun. Just bear it. Just bear it. Amen. This is a wonderful time of year. 
And when you stop and think about Matthew, why is it just a star and that's it? And the baby, King Jesus, where is he born King of the Jews? Why? Because Matthew portrays Jesus as King of Kings. Mark portrays Jesus as the servant, which there is no genealogy, nor is his birth mentioned. Luke is a, portrays Jesus as the son of man. So all we have all this baby stuff, the manger, because he's the son of man. But John steps forward and says, wait a minute. In Matthew, the genealogy goes down to, to King David and Abraham being patriarchs of Israel. And in Luke, the genealogy goes down to Adam but John steps forward in the first chapter of St. John and says, whoa, 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 let's back up. Let's go all the way to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Go back to John 1-1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And all things were made by Him. And not anything that was made was made. And in Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And verse 14, and the Word tabernacled, was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Yes. Amen. Yes. Whew. I like it. I love it, I love it, I love it, because my Savior is not some kind of religious ritual. My Savior is God Almighty, Amen. who died for my sins. Yes. Amen. Now, let's go to the three gifts that God wants to give you. Now, these wise men brought three gifts to Jesus Christ, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those are the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus Christ, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those three gifts God wants to give you, gold, <laughs> Woo, didn't get, didn't get amen right there. God wants to give you gold, but not gold like you think of gold. He wants to give you a king. Because the gold portrays Jesus as the king. And God wants to give you a king. A leader, a sovereign king that answers to no one. A king that created the universe. A king that is ruler over all. A king that has all power at his, suppose, at his hands. A king that has all strength in his, in his kingdom. A king over a kingdom that never perishes. God wants to give you, number one, a king. And Jesus Christ is the king. And he wants to give you the king. The king that can do anything that he chooses in his great kingdom. The king that answers to no one. The king of all the universe. The king of all life. The king of all salvation. The king. King Jesus. God wants to give you that first gift. The king. The second gift God wants to give you is frankincense. So well, what would frankincense mean? Well, frankincense actually smells really good. Frankincense was used to worship God. And so God wants to give you something to worship. And that something to worship is Jesus Christ. God wants to give you somebody to worship. And that somebody is the true and living God. God wants to give you worship that will honor him. And that worship is to Jesus Christ. God wants to give you 
something that smells beautiful, frankincense. God wants to give you a sweet life. I said, God wants to give you a sweet life. And sweet lives don't come except through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the king of sweetness. He's king of kings. He's king of the, uh, of the lords. He's king of wealth. He's king of power. He's king of knowledge. He's king of the sweets. He's a God that wants to give you a sweet life. You cannot have a sweet life until you make contact with King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And when you allow Jesus to be your king and you repent of your sins and ask God to come in your life and God sweeps into your heart, then you have frankincense and a sweet life. Let me tell you, a sweet life is not never having problems because we all have problems. If, if a sweet life is never having problems, then our life stinks, right? A sweet life doesn't mean that you have a new car, a new house, no problems, all the money. That's, now, don't misunderstand me. I could stand some of that sweetness. But that's not the sweet life God's talking about. A sweet life is when your world's crushing, when your world's crumbling, and you've got someone to go to. You can cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. A sweet life is knowing that God will answer your prayer, that he's king of kings, Lord of lords. He answers to no one, he's king. A sweet life is when you know that when you die, you're going to heaven. A sweet life is you know Jesus Christ, he's your king, you love him, and you know he came to rescue from your sin. A sweet life is being forgiven. A sweet life is being saved from hell. A sweet life is when you're in a mess, you can crumble at the feet of Jesus and Jesus will touch you because he's king. A sweet life is when you're going to a storm and that king of kings can stand up and say to the storm, peace, be still. A sweet life is when King Jesus can step to the forward, step to the forward of your life and say, don't worry, I've got this. Don't worry, I'll take you through. Don't worry, I'll remove your sins. I'll remove your burden. I'll touch your life. I'll go with you. I'll be with you. Even through the darkness, yea, though you walk to the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear because God, the King, is with us. That's a sweet life. Mm-mm-mm. That's a really sweet life. And I want you to understand that God wants to give each and every one in this room frankincense. He doesn't want to remove all your burden. He just wants to give you his son and his presence so that you can face any storm and any adversity in your life. God wants to give you a life that you can fall at the feet of Jesus at any moment because he cares for you. God wants to give you a life that will bring you through when trouble comes, bring you through when heartbreak comes. God wants to give you a king. He wants to put you in a kingdom, and he wants to give you a sweet life. And that's what the wise men brought to Jesus. Because Jesus is our king. Jesus is our sweet life. Jesus is our deliverer. And he's the only one that we can truly worship and trust. 
frankincense was there for them to worship the newborn king. There was another gift that the wise men brought to Jesus. This is all in verse 11. They brought gold. God gives you a king. Gold represents a king. They brought frankincense. That represents worship, a sweet life. But they brought something else. In verse 11, the third gift they brought was myrrh. God wants to give you three gifts. He wants to give you a king that answers to no one, a king that's all-powerful, a king that has a kingdom, a king. His name is Jesus. God wants to give you that king. He wants to give you someone to worship, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he wants to give you a sweet life. I don't mean a protected life. I don't mean a life where you don't have problems, but a life that when you're going to hell, you can bow and receive heaven in your soul. A sweet life. And only Christian can really have a sweet life. Because I, I guarantee you, if you don't have Christ, things are going to go sour. At least I know this. When they go sour with the Christian, we can just add Jesus and make lemonade. Right? We can be comforted by the Spirit of God. Why, why torment yourself and, and, and recognize Christmas? Why torment yourself and have a Christmas tree? Why torment yourself and have presents and, and, and recognize Christmas? Why torment yourself and go through the ritual of Christmas and not know the King? And not know the sweet life, the frankincense. And the third gift that God wants to give you is myrrh. Now, what is myrrh? Well, myrrh is used to cover and to anoint the dead. And to put it simply like this, God wants to give you a good death. God wants to remove fear of death from you. God wants to give you a good death. And only Jesus Christ can give you a good feeling in the graveyard. Only Jesus Christ can give you hope for tomorrow when all sickness invades your body and soul. Only Jesus Christ can give you myrrh, a good death, a sweet death, a death. And God wants to give everybody in this room a good death. But you can't have it without the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. You can't have it without the resurrection of the Son of God. You can't have this good death until you repent of your sins, turn to Jesus Christ, let him be the king of your life, mount up with praise to God, ask him for mercy, turn to him with all your soul, live for him so that when you leave this planet, you'll die a good death. A good death. Now, someone say, there's no way, preacher, that you can have a good death. Well, I will agree, death's not good. But when you have Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ can give you a good death. And that only comes through 
Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. It only comes through being born again. It only comes through knowing Jesus Christ, your personal Savior. Don't live through life and then your children hope you made it. Don't live through, uh, go through life and your children say, well, I hope they made it. Don't, don't use silly, uh, silly little remarks. Well, he's fishing at the river of life in that great pie in the sky. Don't waste your life with that nonsense. Well, he's playing the golf course, and it's greener than ever. Well, you know, Grandma's knitting her knit. I got a, I got, I'm, you know, she's embroidering. She's knitting. Trust me, Grandma's in heaven. She ain't knitting. And nobody's watching her knit. It's amazing how we do. We try to. We try to deaden it by saying, well, they went on to their long reward. Well, let me tell you, friends, you'll never have a good reward until you have the good Savior in your life. Amen. Hello. Now, Jesus came. God came. God went around the seat of man. I said, God went around the seat of man. And he took a virgin woman named Mary, a young girl, virgin, and God put his seed in her, for she's the virgin. And Adam's seed passes down the sinful nature, not to mention that women don't have one. Trust me, they got one. But you got to remember that women were born from the seed of man as well. And so that... Adamic nature was passed down to the seed. So God's going to bypass the seed of man, and he's going to put him in the virgin, the holy seed, the seed that would crush the head of the serpent. The serpent would bruise his feet, his heel. God is going to take a virgin, a virgin womb, and he's going to produce a Savior without sin, without the nature of sin. And that Savior is Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sin. Jesus proved his power. Every miracle declares Jesus is alive. And the resurrection proves that Jesus is alive. And so God borrowed a virgin womb and put his son in that virgin womb of Mary. God's whole life, Jesus' whole life was borrowing. He borrowed a donkey to ride into Jerusalem. He borrowed, as I preached this morning, the five loaves of bread and two fish. He borrowed that. He borrowed the things that man holds dear. He borrowed an upper room. He borrowed a pitcher of water. He borrowed a cross. He borrowed a tomb. He didn't buy a thing. Jesus did not buy a chariot. He did not buy a piece of property. He did not buy a kingdom. He did not buy a, a, a horse. He did not buy, as far as I know, he did not buy anything except, hold it, hold it. He did buy something. He bought you with his holy blood. 
Now let's look at Jesus a little more detailed. He's the pure Son of God. He comes out of a virgin womb, right? Everybody agree? Jesus came out of a virgin womb. As God with us, reconciling the world in himself. And Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, lived a perfect life, declared the word of God, went to the cross, died our death, your death, died our death, took our sin, shed his holy blood upon the cross of Calvary. And by the way, the, the blood that was in Jesus is the holy blood of God coming from the seed of God. And Jesus Christ sheds his blood to wash away our sins. And then, wait a minute, oh, it's about to get good. Jesus comes to the virgin womb. And now he's put in a virgin tomb. So I don't believe that. Well, let me, let me put it like this. Stick this in your ear. But yeah, stick this in your heart. He not only borrowed a virgin womb, he borrowed a virgin tomb. Because Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb. And in John 19, verse 41, it says, Now in the place where he was crucified, speaking to Jesus, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid, a virgin tomb. Wow. Well, you know, it, I don't, you know, if I die, I don't want you to put me with somebody. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about, a virgin tomb. Not only was Jesus born of a virgin, but I want you to understand Jesus is the first begotten or the firstborn of the dead. Resurrected, meaning when Jesus got up, he's not the first one that ever raised from the dead, but he's the first one that ever rose from the dead in a glorified body. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. You find him in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten, that word begotten is born, the firstborn of the dead, the prince of kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own body. Or in his own blood body. In other words, he washed us in his own blood. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus Christ said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Wow. Now, we think of Jesus, we think of the devil being king of hell. The devil's king of nothing. He's not going to run hell. He's going to suffer in hell. He's not down there in hell with his whip, whipping you. No, he, it, it, he's not in hell now, but he will be in the lake of fire, and he'll be in no mood to try to run things. But notice that Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, I am he that liveth and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And dangling from the fingertips of Jesus was the keys of hell and of death. Who has the keys? Jesus. I said, who has the keys? Jesus. And if you're smart, you'll go and meet him that holds the keys. If you're smart, you'll run to Jesus because he has the keys. 
And the same key that can lock you in hell can keep you out of hell. I hold the keys of death and hell. The same key that holds the keys to death, Jesus Christ can open up the grave and give us eternal life. He holds the keys to the grave. He holds the keys to hell. And I thank God Jesus Christ has locked me out of hell. I've been locked out. I'm not trying to get in, but if I were, I couldn't get in because I've been locked out. And Jesus has the key to every loved one that's ever died that trusts Jesus Christ. Jesus has the key to raise anyone from the dead. And by the way, he will raise even the lost from the dead, for they will stand before him in judgment day. But we as God's people will stand and bow our knee at the feet of Jesus and worship him because we found the newborn king. We've given our life to Jesus. We're part of the kingdom of God. We're children of God. We have the frankincense, the sweet life. We have, we have the, if we die, we have a good death because we know Jesus Christ. Come on now, I'm preaching better than you're responding. Trust me, the kids are having fun back there. Trust me. No hurry, they're having fun. In fact, when I quit, they're going to wonder why I quit so soon. And you're going to wonder why I didn't stop quicker. The only reason you're uncomfortable right now is probably if you're a Christian, you love what I'm saying. If you're a Christian, you say, whoa, I love this. This is good stuff. But if you're not a Christian, you're sitting there saying, oh, brother, I came because my kid's in the play. Hello. All you want is jingle bells. All you want is jingle bells. All you want is baked turkey, sweet potatoes, homemade dressing, cranberry, whole cranberry sauce, pies, and homemade bread, and get so full that you're stuffed. That's what you want. And by the way, I want that too, but I got Jesus plus that. Amen. Let's be perfectly honest with ourselves. We're going to die. And we're either going to die a sweet death, a good death, or we're not. We're going to go through hard times. And we're either going to live a sweet life, or we're not. We're either part of the kingdom of God, or we're not part of the kingdom of God. We either truly love Christ and honor him with all our heart. You remember Jesus was born as a virgin, but he also was born out of a virgin tomb. Now, I don't mean he needed to be saved. Jesus never needed to be saved. But when he was born out of that virgin tomb, he was born as the first fruits of you and I because God has promised us something better than that thing you're living in. Amen? Amen? Now, if you don't believe that, unless you're a teenager and you think you're cute and smart right now, when you get a little older, you'll look in the mirror and say, what happened? 
You get up one of these days old and look at the mirror and say, ooh, what have I become? Well, you're cute now, but your cuteness will go. Amen? I thought getting old would take a, a lot longer than what it has. I hit the big 7-0. Now I'm working on just by sheer strength. And every day it's just sheer strength or I'll die. Remember when I first turned 40, I went to the doctor. The doctor looked at me and he said, you're 40. I said, yes, sir, I'm 40. He said, your warranty's up. The doctor told me that. He said, your warranty's up. He says, about 40's when you start breaking down on the side of the road. And I said, I don't believe that. And he said, why am I pulling fluid out of your kneecap for it? I said, oh. Yeah, you're going to get older, but you better get smarter and let Jesus become your eternal salvation, your Lord and your maker. Amen? Hello. We're going to give an invitation, and I want to remind you that I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. In fact, do you know when the candy cane came out? The candy cane. I like candy canes. I used to have a dog that would pick candy canes off the Christmas tree and eat them, plastic and all, until I had a son, and he did the same thing. And I'll not tell you which son. But associate pastor's close. <laughs> when did the white candy cane come? Well, it came out of Germany, and it first came as a white cane, the shape of a shepherd's staff. Martin Luther come along, being a German himself, and Martin Luther decided, well, we'll take the tree into the house and we'll put lights on it. And they put candles on a green tree in Martin Luther's house. How many of you know that's not a good idea? <laughs> but that's where it began, taking a Christmas tree into the house. That was, that was actually in... Uh, I wrote it down here. That, that was shortly after 1670 in the time of Martin Luther. And then the, the white candy cane got its red stripes in the 1900s. And the red stripes represent the blood of Jesus Christ. Quit being such a killjoy about Christmas. Well, you shouldn't be celebrating Christmas because you don't know when Jesus Christ was born. Well, I don't know when he was born, but I know he was born. That's a killjoy. Well, you know, I just don't think you ought to have a tree in your house. Well, you got that old hothouse plant in your house. Well, I just don't think we ought to celebrate Christmas. No, I'm not celebrating Christmas. I'm celebrating the God robed in flesh, born in Bethlehem, born of the Virgin Mary. That's who I'm celebrating. I'm not celebrating some fat dude in a red suit.
Amen. I'm sure glad I didn't wear my red suit today. I used to have a red suit, and Judy said, you look fat. So I got rid of the suit. I got rid of the suit, put on a black suit. I said, how did it look? She said, you look fat. I had a nephew tell me, when you wear a black suit, you don't look as fat. So I always wear black suits now. So I look skinny. Amen. I learned a trick. If you wear a size 40 in pants or 38, get one that's 46 or 48, and it'll fall. And everybody will think you're losing weight. You walk around like this. And everybody will think you're losing weight. Amen? Get a bigger shirt so you can walk a couple of blocks in it before it moves. Everybody think, man, he's losing weight. I hope he's okay. I'm okay. This Christmas will be a week from tomorrow. Christmas Eve is Sunday. We'll be having church Sunday. But please take some time in your busy schedule and understand if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, there would be no Christmas. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, there would be no here and there would be no there. Family's important, eating's important, celebration's important, jingle bells is important. You can have the snow on a one-horse open sleigh. Forget that nonsense. Christmas is wonderful. It's a wonderful time of the year. And it's like Easter, the resurrection day, a wonderful time of the year. But please don't replace Jesus with big meals and family gatherings. Have them, but don't replace him. Amen. Now, at least you can say this when you leave here tonight. I got to watch my children in a Christmas play, and I got to hear a sermon about Jesus being born. And I got to hear something that makes Christmas more valid in our lives. We must turn to him. Josh is going to bring a song. I want to encourage you. The children are busy in the back. They're having fun. They're loading up with sweets. You're going to, you're going to adore us when you take them home. They're going to be energetic like you've never seen before. I don't even know if you'll get to bed tonight. They're enjoying their party. They're having a good time. Now, me, I can eat sweets and go to bed and be all right. But if I eat chili, I might stay up half the night. But the children are having a good time. The one thing that you can give your children that's the most precious thing that anyone could give their children is that when you die, you die a good death. And your children can say, I know where daddy is. I know where mommy is. I know where grandma is. I know where grandpa is. The greatest thing that you could ever give your children is the absolute certainty that you're going to heaven when you die. They don't have to make it up. They don't have to pretend. 
they know that you're a child of God. They know where you're at. And so God wants to give you these three gifts tonight. Gold. Say, yes, I line up. Gold is the king. He wants to give you a king. God wants to give you frankincense. wants to give you a sweet life, a sweet-smelling life. He wants to give you a life of worship, a life of sweetness. And thirdly, God wants to give you myrrh to tell you that when it's time, you can die a good death. A good death. Amen? Stand with me. Question, do you have this King of Kings in your life? Question, do you have this sweet life? Do you have this life that's precious, a sweet life? Do you have this assurance that when you die, you will die a good death? Because Jesus took your death, took your life, took your sin, and promised you, promises you eternal life to the newborn king, to this sovereign God that came to earth. He's going to give you a king instead of a Democrat. He's going to give you a king instead of a Republican. He's going to give you a king that will rule and reign over all his domain. That's what he's going to give you. Someone you can trust and someone you can look to. So I give an invitation tonight. You've got plenty of time. Your children would your children will be okay with you coming and getting saved tonight. Really, they'll be okay with that because they're having fun. And you'll never have fun until you know that you have a king, a good death, a good life. And Jesus is your Savior. You come, the altar's open.